Welcome back. Divided government. Republicans now have control of the U.S. House of Representatives after a grueling speakership election last week, leading us into an era of divided government under the Biden administration. We'll talk about what newly minted Speaker Kevin McCarthy wants to do, the many planned investigations Republicans plan on conducting, the internal divisions within the party, and how all of this factors in on their plans on working with President Biden and Democrats. Plus, I'll be joined by local community organizer Ruby Arun to talk about her organization, Mission Math Minds, her work, and more. Today, January 13th, 2023. From Ishan Media, this is the Ishan S Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics, with me, your host, Ishan. Hello, and welcome back to the Ishan S Show. Thank you for joining me today. I am so excited for a lot of things that we have in the works, but today's interview, especially with Mission Math Minds, Ruby Arun, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of topics ranging from her community work to the Russia in Ukraine war that we've been seeing go on for the past few months. So there's a lot to cover, um, but we will get to that in just a minute. First, we'll get into this week's top story, which is about the divided government that we now see in Washington, D.C. So last week we were talking about Kevin McCarthy, House Republicans, and the speakership. And and I won't go too deep into that story because we talked extensively about the speakership elections last week in um, last week's episode, in addition to my interview with Navila Syed. But basically, if we want to give a Cliff Notes version... Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader of the House, was having a bit of a hard time winning the speakership gavel, despite the fact that his party had a majority in the House of Representatives. This was because, basically, uh, 20 members of his conference didn't want him to be speaker. They did not want to vote with him. And, And we need to understand why that's an issue, because Kevin McCarthy was working with a very narrow majority. Every vote counted. Every vote Every person that was in the House, all of it mattered. And so he couldn't afford to lose more than four votes, I think. So every time he wouldn't get a majority, the House would have to go back and vote again. And the way they voted was the clerk of the House would come up to the rostrum and read every single member of Congress's name. And that member of Congress would then have to say their choice, whether that be uh, Kevin McCarthy, Hakeem Jeffries, or another candidate. Many of these 20 people that we were talking about were putting up candidates other than Kevin McCarthy and Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat leader. And that's why, and every t- and so that's why when McCarthy was not able to get that majority, they kept voting over and over and over again. So after 15 rounds of voting, aggressive behavior where members had to be restrained, And chaos, as we labeled it last week, McCarthy was finally elected the 55th Speaker of the House of Representatives. Shortly after, members of the House were sworn in. So we had, you know, a Congress. A little late, but the 118th Congress finally convened after a hectic few rounds of voting. 
Here's some of Kevin McCarthy's address after being elected Speaker of the House. That was easy, huh? I never thought we'd get up here. Two months ago, you voted for a new direction for our country. You embraced our commitment to America. And now we're going to keep our commitment to you. One thing is clear after this week. I never give up. And I make this promise. I'll never give up for you, the American people. So Kevin McCarthy is now Speaker McCarthy. Happy day for him, I guess. Well, that's what people want to think. But really, Kevin McCarthy is not going to be living in peace for the next two years of his House majority. Why do I say that? Well, it's because of the math of his caucus. I went more in depth about this last week and a few moments ago, but basically McCarthy faces a couple of major hurdles as speaker and actually keeping his job as speaker, something he can owe to party division. With a majority of four seats, that's out of 435 total members, you need 218 to have a majority. McCarthy only has four more seats than that majority requirement. Because of this, McCarthy now needs to appeal to every faction of his party. Anytime there is anything remotely important, anything that might be a party line vote for any legislation, McCarthy, who is de facto the most powerful, like the most powerful person right now, or the highest ranking rather Republican in his in in government right now, he's going to have to basically cater to every per- member of Congress's or every Republican member of Congress's whims and demands just to get things through. Now, some people say he can do it. Some people give him credit. But based on what we saw last week, I'm going to suggest that he's got a rebellious few in his party. So getting anything through will be a nightmare for him. He had maybe, if he had maybe... 10 more seats, he would have had a little bit more leeway. But because he has four seats more than Democrats, every vote counts and every remotely major vote is going to be a party line vote and it's going to be a struggle for him. In a way, that's allowed him to be taken hostage by his own party. So one might say he's the boss of House Republicans, but maybe it's these few members that really have a lot of sway that are the boss of Kevin McCarthy. In order for McCarthy to become speaker, he needed all of his conference's support, and the main way he won the votes of the holdout Republican representatives last week that were voting against him was by making a series of concessions, excuse me, to this wing of the party. And, And these concessions took the power of the speakership that we have known for a long time and given it and relegated it to different factions, well, specifically a faction, the Freedom Caucus in the Republican Party, which is huge and it's very prominent in Republican politics. So McCarthy has given up and relegated much of his influence to this wing of the Republican Party. 
that some of these concessions include only one member being required to call for a motion to remove the speaker, giving lawmakers 72 hours to read bills before voting on them. That might not be that bad. Um, and I think that's one productive thing, and that's not giving up his power, but that was a concession that he had to make. Um, then a lot of budgetary rules and representation on powerful committees for Freedom Caucus members. The most important concession that he made that gave up his power, in my view, is the stipulation about one member being required to call for the removal of the speaker. This was a rule before Democrats took the majority in 2019, so it's not a foreign concept. But really, with such an unruly caucus and a narrow majority, that's what's going to keep Kevin McCarthy up at night. Because think about it. If even one person one day out of the blue says, I don't like Kevin McCarthy anymore, let's boot him out, and they happen to have five members of the Republican Party to vote with Democrats, then McCarthy is screwed. And the reason I suggest that Democrats will play in with this is because obviously Democrats have had a field day in capitalizing off of this internal division. The entire week last week, Democrats were unified uh, and, you know, that sounds like I'm taking a side. I'm not. The point of it is actually that you have to look at the politics and the optics of this. And Democrats definitely seemed 10 times more unified than Republicans were last week. Republicans had a bit of a circus going on within their caucus. And that's just because of the cinematics that we were seeing in the House election last week. Democrats were standing with each other. All 212 members kept voting for Hakeem Jeffries every single time they didn't need to be there they didn't need to care but they kept doing it and i think that really sent a message in dc to politicians because because of the fact that they just seem so united so anyway that was a bit of a tangent that i went on but basically the point i'm trying to make is they're not going to support mccarthy they are going to vote against mccarthy so any measure that might come up they have 212 votes and then they just need five more and I don't, uh, not five more, they need uh, seven more. But it doesn't matter because if one member calls for his removal and they manage to get that minimum requirement plus Democrats, Kevin McCarthy might be out of a job. And because of these major concessions, now Kevin McCarthy has to wake up every morning asking himself, how can someone try to remove me today and how do I stop them? Because one day, 20 Freedom Caucus members are saying that they don't want McCarthy as speaker unless he takes up these rules. And the next day, you have moderate Republicans expressing doubts about adopting these rules. He is managing a very t thin, tight rope for, in order to be speaker. And, you know, that's the job of uh, being, a, you know, being one of those types of political leaders. You have to be able to manage everybody. But I just don't think McCarthy was dealt the right cards for this situation. I think he would have been far more successful if he was working with the Republican majority that we had um, before before this latest Democrat majority. He would have been far more successful there. I think he would have been very successful. I mean, I actually think he'd be very successful with any Congress. I think this is one of the narrowest Republican majorities we've seen in a long time. So I, I don't understand how Kevin McCarthy is expected to relax. He's, for his part, been playing it off pretty well. He's been trying to convey that this is not a big problem, that he's getting things done. And 
undoubtedly they are getting some things through, such as um, the the creation of the bipartisan committee investigating China uh, and or the Chinese Communist Party. That's a victory, I guess, for McCarthy that he got through. And then the rules package, every concession that he made, all of this gets put into the rules package. And that's how they manage the House. Some of that includes no more remote voting. And some of it includes that 72 hour rule that I mentioned earlier for legislators to read bills 72 hours before stuff. So there's some stuff that, you know, all Republicans like, but then those concessions are also put in there. And that was all in the rules package. And some moderate Republicans, such as Nancy Mace of South Carolina, we've covered her here on the show before, but she was expressing some concern about this. And she's from a swing moderate district, and she's been critical of Republicans in the past few weeks for being, for not necessarily tapping into the national political landscape very well. Whatever it is, she came in opposite. She said that she was on the fence about voting for this rules package. McCarthy managed to get her to vote for it, and that rules package did pass. Committee assignments were given out. Committee assignments are very important uh, in this Congress, or in any Congress for that matter. It's how you have influence. So, so stuff is getting done. But that's Speaker McCarthy's world because no matter what you do, no matter what victory you have, you have to still think to yourself, it's just one person that I need to take off and I'm out. Not that I'm out, but I'm in trouble. But what do other Republicans plan on doing, and how does that matter to Democrats? Well, Republicans plan on investigating the heck out of the Biden administration. (laughs) So Republicans have always had a long list of dream investigations that they have wanted to conduct of President Biden's White House. This includes the problematic Afghanistan withdrawal, which we covered on the show, the Biden family's supposed business dealings, origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, the southern border crisis, treatments, treatment of defendants who participated in the January 6th riots, the recent revelations, this is new, about classified documents being found in a personal office of President Biden from his time after being vice president and before becoming president and in his house in Delaware, um, which has stirred up some controversy. We're still getting more information about that. But those are some of the things that they want to investigate, to name a few things. Plus, Republicans have also created a special committee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government. Well, it's a bit, it's a long name, but this this um, committee will have all sorts of jurisdiction to investigate if the federal government and its agencies were trying to silence or restrict conservative voices from the political discussion. And, and this is a talking point that has been on the right for a long time, and Uh, It's dated back from before the 2020 election, so uh, it's something that Republicans have wanted to investigate for a long time, and they did not have the House majority to do it, but now they do, and that's at the top of their priority list. Um, Now, this is a committee that they promised throughout the entire 2022 cycle, uh, midterm cycle. As for President Biden... As Now, he has said that he will work with Republicans wherever he can. I think we can actually take President Biden at his word for that. Um, President Biden really struggled a lot when his party was in complete control of the Congress because there were so many expectations of him to enact bold, major policies that Democrats could champion in the midterms. And 
you know, he wasn't very excited about these policies. He's, again, reminder, he's more moderate at heart than most people understand. Now, he couldn't get through those anyway because he himself and other Democrat leaders were working with very narrow majorities a few months ago. It was a 50-50 Senate, and Democrats actually had the same exact majority that Republicans have right now. It's just Democrats were a little more united, so we didn't see a lot of drama uh, occur. But nonetheless, there were challenges in getting key policies through. So I, I just I think with a Republican House— we're going to see a little bit more of the real Joe Biden. What do I mean by that? Well, Joe Biden is a deal maker. Biden loves to negotiate and work out deals to enact policy. I mean, look no further than the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, that we had only been, you know, we'd only been hearing about this infrastructure bill, infrastructure week. We'd had heard about it in talks for decades, but never anything substantial. So, but, but then, you know, President Biden and Republicans were able to work out a deal and get infrastructure put on the agenda. So Biden might be a weak president in some fields, and he is, but he has a knack for this sort of thing. It's what he ran on in 2020, and I think he might actually benefit from a divided government. It may not be as disastrous um, as some people are putting it. We'll need to see how he works with the new Republican House. So that was a look at what we can expect from the new Republican House of Representatives led by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, how they plan on working with Democrats and Joe Biden, and how they plan on investigating Joe Biden. When we come back from the break, I'll sit down with Ruby Arun to talk about her amazing work through her organization, Mission Math Minds, what she wants to achieve, and why you should be paying more attention to this organization. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. I'm very excited for this week's interview because we are going to be joined by a young change maker here on the show, my favorite kind. Our guest for today's episode is the founder and CEO of Mission Math Minds, an organization aimed at increasing the involvement of girls in STEM and has also worked in supporting education efforts for children refugees from the invasion of Ukraine, as well as underserved communities in Chicago. She does all of this as a sophomore in high school. Here to talk more about herself and her efforts, we are joined by Ruby Arun. Ruby, thank you for joining the Isha Nash Show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Very good. Um, now, before we get into uh, this uh, into our interview. You are a big member of this community and the work that you do. So why don't you take a few moments to introduce yourself to my audience? Sounds good. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Ruby. As Sean mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO at Mission Math Minds. Um, I'm also a sophomore in high school. Um, I'm also a really big STEM advocate. So everything I do relates to our efforts at Mission Math Minds. Um, but again, I'm so excited to be here. Um, Excellent. So you know, this isn't something that you generally hear about from somebody um, our age, because, you know, I kind of come in that age category, although you are younger. Um, and I don't hear a lot of people your age doing this type of stuff. So what got you involved? What got you started in this space? Sure. Um, 
So going back to the mission of Mission Math Minds, right, we're here to empower girls in STEM. So I was one of those girls. Um, I've been involved in math my whole life. It's been a really big part. My parents um, were engineers by training. My grandparents were have PhDs in math. Um, so it's been a big part of my life. Um, but for me specifically, um, I did math competitions when I was uh, much younger. So uh, that's kind of where I got my path started in STEM. Um, in those math competitions, I would see the, the gender imbalance, right? we'd have maybe a couple of girls on every team and then it was dominated by boys. And that that really struck me um, for, you know, four or five years that I was involved in math competitions, this imbalance, um, but that wasn't where it stopped. Um, in school, we see that there's a really big anxiety when it comes to math. Um, you mention it, people start freaking out, people start getting really uncomfortable. Um, and so that that really hurt me um, as someone who you know didn't see math that way. And I wanted to bring that joy to people, something that I felt as part of a passion. So. Mission Math Minds was created in 2020 to be a mentoring program for students uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, where a lot of uh, students didn't have access to quality education, we tried to bring that to them uh, virtually with high school students who were doing this for free, um, getting service hours, being involved with, you know, young girls out there who are just trying to find their way in the STEM field. So that's where I started. Um, my passion has been alive since I was a young girl, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that there's a community out here, um, including yourself, who's who's really excited to support this. Very impressive. Um, and and this organization has grown. You got you um, earlier last year, rather, you had your conference where you had individuals with the likes of um, former like a guest on last week's episode, Nabila Syed. You had Senator Tammy Duckworth, Raja Krishnamurthy. Um, so how did you grow your organization to reach the heights that it has? Sure, that's a great question. Um, that's a question that I think is slightly complex. Um, a lot of people don't know what it takes to go from ground zero to here we are now. Um, so the first couple of years, right, we started in the pandemic and people didn't know what virtual learning looked like at all. You know, teachers were struggling, schools were struggling to get students involved. So as someone, as a student um, who has been through virtual education, I thought it was my mission to bring the youth perspective of you know virtual learning to to a better standard um, and so with mission math minds the first year was rough to get students involved you know we weren't sure how to spread the word how to get students access if they didn't have laptops where to get the funding to get them laptops so that was definitely difficult because you know we all have passion that we want to make a change but how does that really practically look like in the real world um, so then the next year we started getting more involved with schools in person. So even though we had grown our mentoring program virtually, we had students you know, all over the world participating. Once COVID ended, that's when things changed. You know, students weren't as interested as doing you know, online tutoring anymore. They wanted to do in-person events, you know, be back out in the world. So we started to change our events, um, our business model to be more focused on how can we get students in our community locally involved with you know, STEM events, STEM awareness campaigns that's when we started the workshops um so to this day we still host virtual workshops um you know exploring different stem careers our conference for example um we had a virtual and in-person side to it and um, we brought in female role models you know like nabila syed uh, senator tammy duckworth talking about what you know their experiences as a young girl were like their experiences and exposure to stem um, and how it's made them the leader they are today so I think a lot of it has to do with my passion, um, finding like-minded individuals to push the mission as well. And um, I'm sure you haven't done this all by yourself. You've gotten some helps. Are there, who's helped you along the way? I know your parents have had a big role in this. Um, so what kind of help have you gotten in getting here? 
Absolutely. So uh, one of the first board members I approached, um, she was a former teacher, a math teacher of mine uh, during the pandemic. Um, and honestly, I'd only she'd only taught me for maybe like a couple of months with the pandemic starting in person. So we actually didn't know each other that well. But um, the interesting part was it was a one person math class, which is not something you hear every day. Um, yeah, so because I was in advanced math, um, the only way they could fit me in was with a one person math class. And so because of that, my math teacher and I got to bond really well. Um, so I approached her around June. Um, it had been a couple months since I started thinking about the idea. And she was one of the people that has forever supported me, continues to support me. But she was the first person that was like, I believe in what you're doing and I'm gonna help you throughout the way. So her name is Kate McCulley. Um, she is still a board member to this day, super involved with what we do. Um, she's a math teacher at Holy Family. So she makes her, you know, changes students' lives every day as well as a teacher. But um, I would say that she's one of the female role models in my life that's pushed me to get to this level. Um, and then a huge, you know, I'm so grateful for our team. Um, people don't really know what high school students can do. Um, you know, we, a lot of us have leadership skills that we just need to grow and develop. So having opportunities that, you know, at Mission Math Minds has really, it, it's made me proud of what I've seen the students in high school do. And you mentioned um, uh, your high school, that you are in high school. Um, I mean, I'm running this podcast here and I drive myself crazy sometimes. How do you manage such a great organization as a sophomore in high school? I mean, you have all these things that you have to balance and then you also have the organization that you have to run. How do you balance that? That's a great question. Um, you know, at times it's been difficult, right? I'm sure you know exactly what I'm feeling. You know, there's times where it's like, how do I manage all of this? you know, with school, APs, you know, should I really be focusing more effort on school or my mission and passion? Um, but I think it comes down to the support of the community. Um, there's so many different moments where we get awards or recognitions um, for, you know, large communities that, that make it worthwhile what we're doing. Or, you know, the parent testimonials where they're like, my kid hated math 12 months ago, but after going through some of these sessions with her favorite high school role model, her view has completely changed. She's asking me when her next session is. So I would say just the support we've been getting has, has really changed my life. I feel like I view the world differently. Um, so definitely the community support. I Actually, yeah, I totally agree with you. Community yeah. support is what fuel these things. So I'm glad that uh, community is out here to help you. And that's why we give you the spot here on the show, because we want this community to know about you and to further fuel that support. Uh, I want to switch gears a little to the book drives that you have done. Um, you have... Uh, done a lot of book drives um, over the past few months um, that I've here I've been observing and that I've also been a part of at volunteering events. Um, why don't you tell us the story of these book drives, how you got started with them, and what they're aimed at doing? Absolutely. So um, back in March um, of 2022, uh, New Year, um, we uh, started looking at the Ukrainian war, right? The invasion in Ukraine. And that was heartbreaking, not only because, yes, it's an invasion and, you know, obviously so many families are impacted. But when you look at such an innocent thing like education, the impact of the way it was, you know, students, their schools were bombed. I mean, just to think about that, a really a place where you should feel safe, you know, comforted, uh, see your role models, teachers. I mean, seeing that bombed and, and even being in the U.S. watching that, that that really hurt not only me, but our, our team, you know, seeing that happen. So. We wondered what, what can we do here in the US to support these students in an education way. So we started our global book drive uh, in March 2022. Um, and that's where we reached out to our community members saying, I'm sure everyone has books laying around. Let's let's work together and get these books over to Ukraine and different areas in Europe where Ukrainian refugees are located. 
So since then, um, we've collected 15,000 plus books um, and around 7,000 have gone to uh, local communities here in Chicago. Uh, we're hosting a shipping event in the next couple of weeks um, for the rest of our books to officially make their way over to students in need in Ukraine, Poland, um, France. Um, and I'm really grateful to some of our partner organizations who've made it happen, um, like the YMCA's having great support with getting our book drives out there to the community. Um, Libraries Without Borders has helped us get the books over there at you know affordable costs. Um, so it's it's really been amazing seeing the community pitch in. I mean, who knew that we had 15,000 books to give to students in need, right? I mean, like you really don't think about that every day that you just have books laying around. Right. Um, and getting 15,000 books out there, it's an operation in itself to get them across um, mm -hmm. to the people that need them. Very impressive. Um, now about some of the things that we're seeing. You are helping underserved communities in Chicago right now here, and as well as people across an ocean in Ukraine. I wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, this is a political podcast inherently, so we're gonna try to bump in some political <laughs> questions. So from our leaders, um, what do you what do you wanna see some of our leaders do in this field um, in terms of helping you know, young Ukrainian children who no longer have nice school buildings to go to that like you and I do, or, you know, underserved communities in Chicago, just a few miles from here. What do you want to see our leaders do? Like, why should, what do you want to see our leaders do so that you don't have such a large burden on yourself to have to deliver for com communities across the world? That's a great question. I think there's two sides to this, right? We have our leaders in our local community here in Chicago, across the US as well. And then we have leaders who are, you know, really the change makers in Ukraine and Russia. I think being, you know, us who are living in the US, what we can do is reach out to our community leaders, right? Like like Namila Silek and our senators and congressmen who are working right now to take to, you know, make policies that are not only benefiting students here to allow us to do these things like book drives, you know, share our efforts for these students in Ukraine. Um, I think that's really what we can do right now, especially with podcasts that, like yours, initiatives that are working to educate our generation on politics. I think it's really important that we're educated as a generation on what's going on in Ukraine. Um, with my trip to Poland, um, we one of the, one of the major messages that students told me was that don't forget us. You know, yes, the war is going to be going on, and you're just going to talk about it for a little bit and forget, but but don't forget us, right? There's their war isn't ended. Their the harm coming to them has never stopped. Um, one of my good friends in, U in Ukraine now, who I met in Poland, Natalia, she texts me every day, you know, electricity has gone, you know, it went from oh, electricity is going out for one day to now we're living without electricity for half, half the week. I mean, those are things that, you know, we don't really think about on a daily basis going to school, you know, oh my gosh, I have a test tomorrow, but like, oh my gosh, I don't have electricity tomorrow. There's, there's a big, there's a definitely something that I think our community leaders have been doing a great job talking about, but just continuing to talk about it on podcasts like yours, you know, in, in community events, I think that's the important part. And uh, you mentioned your trip to Poland. Uh, we were just about to get to that. So you did go to Poland uh, in August, I believe. Is that right? Yep, July, end of July to August. Yeah, July to August. That's right. Um, tell us a bit about that trip, because I mean, that's another interesting thing that you've done on behalf of this organization. You went to Poland to meet with Ukrainian refugees, uh, children. Uh, and to talk more about your organization and to get some on-ground information, is that right? Absolutely. So um, like you said, I went from uh, the last week of July to early August. Um, so I was off, obviously, but those kids, um, the ones I met, some of them were in you know, aftercare, aftercare programs, um, summer programs. So I was able to see kind of what their life looks like now, a little bit calmer without school. 
Um, so um, I think that what we were able to do there is one, give them the books. Um, that was something that I was happy to do, give them our some rough 15,000 books um, and more to come, obviously. But um, I spent a large amount of time with, uh, you know, ele elementary and middle school students who maybe aren't as aware of what's going on, but still had really strong opinions. So one of the students was telling me a story about how they saw their dog die outside their house and just the way that they were talking about it, how, you know, emotionally uh, distressing it is to hear them talk about that. It, it's really powerful. You know, it wasn't just one kid. Every kid had a story to share about how they came from Ukraine, you know, dislocated now to a, a different place. So that was really powerful. And that was the message I wanted to bring back was, again, these kids, their lives keep going, the war keeps going. And what we can do here is support initiatives that are helping these kids overseas. Wow, that indeed is really powerful, actually. And to be able to hear firsthand what some of these young people have experienced, it's horrifying to have to hear about, but it's important to hear because if you don't know what's going on over there from firsthand sources, then you, you can't understand what you need to do. So thank you for doing that. That was That's very good on your part. Good for you. Um, so we're going to switch gears again. Uh, now I want to talk about you. Um, you know, a few people who I did tell about this interview wanted me to ask you actually, uh, what's next for Ruby Arun? So, you know, you're running this great organization. You're only in high school, so you have decades ahead of yourself. <laughs> so what's next for you? What do you think you're going to do? Are you going to stick with the organization? Are you try to Are you going to try to grow it? Or are you are going to take other opportunities? What are you looking at for the future? Um, that's a really great question. So actually, some of the things I was I was talking to someone recently today about uh, the difference between a passion project and mission math minds. A lot of people in high school they might see you know mission math minds as a passion project that's going to end when I graduate. We see mission math minds as an organization that's making that's changing and making a movement. We're giving girls opportunities they never had before, um, giving them the female role models, connecting them with female leaders in STEM. That's something that really hasn't been emphasized before, before Mission Math Minds, right? So our workshops, our conferences, the events we host, the volunteering opportunities we give students, those are all things that, you know, give them the opportunities to be leaders in the future, maybe making them more aware of what a STEM leader looks like. So doing those things is something that we will continue to do for years and years on impacting more students. So that's what's next for Mission Math Minds. Um, 2023 is going to be a really great year for us. Um, we have really hit one of our peaks. Um, our, our team is growing. Community has never been more involved. Um, so we're so excited for everyone to get even more involved with our events. Congratulations to you and Mission Math Minds. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, unfortunately, we are almost out of time. So before I do let you go, uh, are there any parting thoughts that you have before uh, we let you off? Sure. Um, thank you to Ashan for having us um, and letting us share our story. Um, I've listened to the Ashan S show and it's, it's really amazing what you've done to impact our generation. Um, I think it's made a lot of us realize how uneducated we are or unaware we are of what's going on in the real world. And to talk to, about such complex things at such a simple level for us to understand is, is truly awesome. So thank you for having us. Um, shout out to everyone at Mission Math Minds for uh, getting this far. Um, I know a lot of us have worked so hard. So thank you again. 
Thank you so much. And if you want to hear more about Mission Math Minds, then you can go to missionmathminds.org or you can follow them on Instagram and get more updates from Ruby as they continue to do great things for our community and for the world. <laughs> uh, but that's all for now. Thank you to Ruby for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. And so that does it for us here today at the Sean S. Show. If you like my commentary, then go ahead and follow The Sean S. Show on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. And if you want to learn more about political stories, then check out my political news blog on theshawnsshow.com and go ahead and subscribe to it. Do us a favor and share this episode and all your other favorite episodes with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.